if you only have the culture consumption end of things, that's actually really, really dangerous uh, position to be in for for any country. Um, because it's heavily reliant on global networks and global markets, on other people, so to speak. You know, to build resilient of any um, national economy, you've got to think about, you know, what do we actually have that's not so over reliant on another country's supply. And, and niche manufacturing in relation to creative industries is one of those things that we can look at because creative ideas are often locally nurtured. You know, designers and architects and uh, artists, and if we can supply these manufacturings to those artists and designers, that would be a very strong local-based economy. So that's a, that's a very important argument that Australia need to have. It's also increasingly about global city-to-city -city competition. Australian cities really need to think about their local strategy for, for that. Yeah, so the problems of not being able to understand what that is and the, the kind of dynamics involved in running these industries would eventually kind of make us a very boring place for not being able to attract the kinds of uh, desirable workforce that we need. But I think the most important thing actually for us is the, the culture identity of Australia. It's not that we don't have culture talents, it's that there is something missing in the, the kind of distribution and circulation of Australian culture. In that material aspect, you know, we don't yet have strong brands. It's that lack of culture identity, I think, is a crisis for Australia as a country, you know, which should and, and if this happens will have a huge impact on the global culture economy. You know, we will have our place. Welcome to the Monash Arts Researchers Podcast. I'm Shingu. I'm a lecturer in the School of Media, Film and Journalism here at uh, the Arts Faculty at Monash University. My uh, research is very much about the culture creative industries, culture policy, and more recently I've been looking at the relationship between culture and making the material aspects of culture and creative industries. I worked a lot with government policies globally, in Britain in particular, and with policy bodies in China, looking at their digital media industries and creative clusters. And I teach cyber culture in cities, media entrepreneurship and creative industries in here at Monash. So the project is called uh, Urban Culture Policy and the Changing Dynamics of Material Culture Production. It's funded by the Australian Research Council uh, and the Discovery Program. The project is very much looking at this relationship between culture, uh, creative industries and manufacturing based very much in Australian context, but also through uh, comparative international case studies. And there are three aims in this project. Um, one is to examine the relationships between culture industries and urban manufacturing, particularly the exchange of knowledge, skills and practice that hold potential to create new products, process and work opportunities. And the second aim of this project is to determine how changing industry uh, relations 
urban development, technological innovation and policy dynamics might affect culture production. And the third aim of this project is to identify lessons from other countries that are responding to these changing dynamics and developing new policies around culture production and manufacturing. It's a three-party uh, collaboration on this project. So we have obviously the Monash team with me and uh, Professor Justin O'Connor. We'll be looking at Melbourne, a large urban clustering of uh, crafts and manufacturing businesses in Australia. There's a team led by Professor Chris Gibson based at uh, Wollongong University. And they will be looking at the case in Sydney, the Marrickville Industrial Zone. And we also have a team based at QUT at the moment, uh, led by Professor Carl Grodash. There are quite large sets of international case studies involved in this project. And uh, Carl, because he's from the US, so he will be looking at... Uh, crafts and manufacturing, kind of niche manufacturing neighborhoods in New York and San Francisco. Berlin, uh, Germany, Justin's looking after that bit. And I will be looking at Shenzhen, uh, the um, maker capital of not just China now, internationally. One of the key thing is to look at a coordinated uh, government policy towards niche making in scale. We realized that Germany actually, you know, traditionally Germany has been a very uh, important um, place for manufacturing globally. Uh, but more recently, they're quite active in kind of leading the new agenda for making globally. So they had the uh, Germany's Industry 4.0 plan, which is uh, a kind of module that the Chinese trying to copy to come up with their um, manufacturing creative industry uh, agenda. Uh, which is called Made in China 2025. So that's a kind of, you would say, a, a revised version of German's um, Industry 4.0. So we need to look at what are the targets, uh, what are the kind of industry subsectors they look at, uh, promote, and are those kind of things applicable in Australian cities as, as well. The international cases are very much lessons to be learned for us. New York City government is looking at developing a creative making cluster, uh, which will allow the presence or cheap uh, rent for these making small-scale making companies to locate um, together. And that's very important. As you know, New York has similar problems with Melbourne. The rent is the big problem for inner-city making industry. So in New York, they have worked with, obviously, real estate developers locally uh, of a strategy to help this um, kind of presence of small-scale making industries and help them to link with uh, small-scale um, creative industries. And this is the kind of similar thing that I think in Melbourne, the Collingwood um, Arts Precinct is trying to do as well. I guess it's about building coalition between a government who's interested in cultivating a making connection with creative industries and a lot of the local industries and to get a sense of how, uh, if we want to do that, the kind of scale and scope for something um, like a creative cluster for a city like Melbourne and New York. In San Francisco, I think they put in some policy change in terms of rezoning. 
because uh, the problem with property pressure for creative industries is that city councils are now able to rezone industrial area for other purposes and often turn them into zones for any forms of consumption and um, residential use. And they have put in some kind of uh, restriction on how easy they can convert the zoning categories, which will help to preserve the industrial purposes of these um, clusters, allowing creative industries, especially making industries, to continue their um, presence in those places. The San Francisco case could absolutely be applicable in Australia cities as well. But we are yet to look into rezoning policies in Australian cities and how that might be able to um, have an impact on preserving uh, making in the city. The Chinese case is that it's all top-down planned. And what we've found, uh, well, over the last two decades of research in China, we have discovered that a lot of the small-scale creative industries are excluded from these culture pressings developed by government. And what's been happening in Shenzhen, which we found really interesting, is the fact that they started to look at grassroots um, innovation process. So they would um, set up these co-working space and maker labs specifically targeting very small grassroots company. And they have a range of strategies to make sure that the intellectual properties generated by these small companies can be preserved and they link them to uh, manufacturing uh, supply chains uh, to help them to go to the next level. Often talked about in China, in, amongst policy circle, people would say things like, you know, how do you go from 0.1 creativity to 100? This is apparently the biggest problems for uh, Chinese um, creative industries. You know, they, they are known for their massive manufacturing capacity. So they're used to a scale which is 10,000 or, you know, 100,000 units to be made in Chinese factories. But when it comes to go from, you know, more niche produced goods and small scale goods, it's very uh, difficult for them to to convert to that more niche setting. And so all of those kind of strategies of smaller co-working space and, you know, building supply chains for these smaller niche um, producers is really to look at, you know, how do you go from 0 0.1, which is a seed idea, to actually to make something uh, like a small volumes, which is 100 units and how do you then market it and sell it to a niche audience? So the, the Chinese case will really help us to understand how manufacturing in scale, you know, traditional manufacturing often is organized in that kind of mass scale. How do you then convert that into a more specialized niche setting? which I think is quite interesting and we can learn from that in helping the transition of traditional manufacturing in Australia to look at, you know, what's appropriate in terms of scale and what sort of industry sectors might be possible for them to look at linking with culture industries. At the policy level, it needs to have a very co coordinated, complex arrangement uh, to allow this to happen. Because obviously, Australia has never really been a traditionally strong kind of man manufacturing heartland, except mining, you know. Um, but 
there are things we can cultivate, like through the University Innovation Lab and linking them to existing manufacturing skills that we have in Australia. But what we are lacking at the moment is we don't actually know who are making, you know, who's in the making industries, where they are, what kind of skill sets these people possess, and what some of the complementary skill set we might have that the, the, the training education and institutions might provide to link back into that. We also don't know whether we could uh, develop more global links with other cities through working with them, cultivate our making uh, capability in Australia. So the Chinese case, again, is a very good example here. I mean, they aren't that good at making phones, um, like making the chips uh, in the phone that well. It was always kind of kept away from them because of the intellectual property issue. But by collaborating with global um, companies uh, like Apple and Samsung, they eventually managed to learn how to do that. So I think that's another kind of feasibility for Australia. You know, we can work with um, companies in Germany, in the US, and through what they've done, we can learn how to do that ourselves. The other issue is intellectual property. The Chinese government now set up policy bodies or law organizations that look at this issue of uh, intellectual property, helping small-scale uh, manufacturers to understand how to draw out the max value from what you design. And obviously, with other products in Internet of Things, you know, if you operate in that kind of market, it's very hard to protect your IP. If you design a drone, Next week, it will be in the market somewhere and somebody else would have copied your idea. So they were talking about the best creative people should not be worried about protecting your IP, but more about, you know, how quickly you can churn out ideas. So they are putting a huge effort in helping Chinese companies guard their property rights outside of China. So if you see something copying Chinese manufacturers' creation on Amazon, a group of lawyers will sue you immediately. So back to Australia, what I'm saying is that if you have your things made in China, they won't guarantee your intellectual property. You, you, it's more likely that you will lose that right to them. And so that is another very good reason for Australian creative industries to think about making locally. One of the things that really drives that lack of attention towards making is the perception of making, right? So to anybody on the street, you know, they don't see Australia uh, as a place of making. They, they, they don't see making as desirable. They don't see making as about creativity. And so our team will be looking at industry codes. So if somebody making a steel piece for jewelry supplies that to a jeweler and they won't be categorized as jewelry maker, but they will be manufacturing, which now receives very little support or attention from the government. But if we can recategorize them with creative industries, you know, that may, might change the whole industry, the perception around it, but also policy investment support to these industries. I mean, seeing them as a whole is what we're trying to achieve from this project. Trying to say that creative industry is not just about ideas and not about 
art, just about artists and designers doing things in their studios. Um, but also, it's it's a larger ecosystem where everybody supplies something to that process. The perception of manufacturing as dirty, low-skilled, you know, human people intensive, is a big problem that we need to overcome. Through the case studies, we're trying to convince, I guess, politicians and the wider public of seeing manufacturing in new light. New ideas come about very quickly. If we're going to wait for a year for something new to happen, then it's got, not going to be sustainable. So sustainability is about looking beyond the current Australian market to a global audience, you know, how you reach them, what they like, um, and how you communicate with makers to actually understand uh, what your global audience might need from you. So it's about that, but also about the uh, efficiency, you know, the speed of your creativity and how that can be enhanced by building connection with makers. Local entrepreneurs are trying to set something up, you know, completely on a grassroots level. But I think the, the issue here is how do you coordinate these grassroots activity to compete at a global level? You know, to, to allow that to happen, we need uh, a lot more investment, I guess, from the government. With this project, you can actually have a potential of change policy settings in Australia. It is really a great opportunity for students to get involved in real-world um, situations. Yeah. We have a PhD student working on the Melbourne part of this research project. And there are a few um, PhD students working on a project from Sydney, or from Wollongong University. Well, I'm going to be supervising two extra students whose work will directly relate to the Chinese part of the project. I'm looking for potential PhD uh, students uh, who are interested in, in understanding, obviously, this issue of uh, culture and making from a, a variety of different areas. You can be looking from an urban studies perspective, looking at how things cluster in cities, where other culture uh, industry clusters. You can also be looking at that from an industry perspective looking at the scale and scope of these industries. You can be looking at a particular subset of creative industries, looking at how they interact with uh, the rest of the culture ecosystem. And um, the approach we often take in projects like this is uh, through extensive amounts of field work, talking to a range of stakeholders, and really kind of participating in uh, a range of community life, uh, relevant to culture and creative industry is really, really important for us. So, you know, you, you obviously you are a researcher, um, but also you are participant in arts and culture. And so that's kinds of PhD students. We will be interested in recruiting. I'm actually really excited by this project that we are able to start that conversation from somewhere, whether the impacts of this research can actually go beyond the funding period, whether Australia will eventually have long-term planning like the Chinese do, you know. Let's look into 2030, 2035. What can we imagine about the scale and the types of making for Australian cities? Um, I'll be excited 
and honoured to be part of that process, pushing towards the future of making in Australia.